0: What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. We welcome you in this place. We acknowledge you are here. You are with us. You will never leave us or forsake us. And our hope, God, is all in you. Our hope is in you alone. We agree with what it says in songs. My soul waits for God alone. And it's in that posture we come today, God, asking for you to speak to us, asking for you to revive us to yourself, asking, God, that you would just do great things in our life, God, so that we would bring you glory and honor as we walk in love with you, Jesus. We realize there's nothing we can do apart from you, but you are so wanting to give. You're so wanting to give to your kids. So, God, I just pray for faith to arise right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Help us, God, to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Help us to receive, God, the Word, the Word, God. And Help us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. We do lift up those precious children that are at camp today. And Jesus, as they see, they're going to see a replication of you being crucified and beaten and hung on that cross. And I pray, God, for their hearts to say, oh, wow, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. We pray for decisions, God. We pray against the assignments of the enemy, God, and lies over these children's life that they would come into the truth that you are the King of kings and Lord of Lord Jesus and you are worthy to be followed and they would surrender their life to you, Jesus. So we just intercede, God. Help us as a church to continue to intercede for them while they're away. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, I covet your prayers, continued prayers for those precious children that God would move powerfully. Um, I'll never forget a time where I was prayer walking on Tamron, and a young man came up to me who was about 25, and he uh, was in the street pharmacy business. Uh, Um, and I knew that, and he knew that, but he still had love for me. And I and I'll never forget. He said, uh, "Mr. Christmas, Mr. Chris, can I go to KA this year?" I said, "Bro, you're 25 years old. No." And he said, "That was the best week of my life. It was the best week of my life." And so. Um, we pray that God would would do something this week and get a hold of the lives of those those precious children. So they come back changed. Surrendered to him and following him. And we pray that for us, too. So Revelation 11. Revelation 11, we are uh, if you could throw up the trumpet just so we can do a little quick, quick, quick. Help me to be quick, God. Um, Real quick review. This is kind of where we are. Uh, Chapter six, um, the seven seals happened in the book of Revelation. And and these are the judgments that are coming upon the earth. Uh, Then there was six trumpets. And then a seventh trumpet is going to be blown. That's actually in here, chapter 11, But you see those last three trumpets? Those are the three woes. Chapter 11 is the second woe, and there's going to be one more woe that's coming, which is going to be the seven veils or the seven bowls that will be poured out. And this is the, the judgment of God coming upon the earth, but also mixed with the grace of God. Because these two witnesses in chapter 11, they're preaching and witnessing and calling people to repentance because of the grace of God in the midst of chaos in the world. So this is where we are. Verse 1, it says, then I was given. And I'd like you to highlight, then I was given, if you would, please. I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. Now, it's interesting to note in the Greek, that word temple, there's two Greek words for that. The one that's used here, the one that's used here for this one is the word for the holy of holies. Not the whole entire temple, but the Holy of Holies. And we'll get more into this later. But it says, the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it's given over to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. So this is in the time of the seven-year period of tribulation. And for 42 months, the, 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 the city of Jerusalem will be trampled over. And God is saying, "Hey John, focus here, measure here the temple. Measure the temple." Now, what I want you to get from this and I had you highlight, then I was given. I want you to also highlight in verse 2, "For it is given, for it is given." Understand the one with authority is the one that is giving. And God has authority and he is giving. And then it says, "They will trample the holy holy city for 42 months." Understand God has allowed them to trample the city. They thought they were running things. How many people think they're running things? But they don't realize God's allowing them to run things. But that time's going to end. It was giving. It is giving. They will trample. Here's what I want you to get. God is in control in the midst of it. Right now, inflation, gas prices. What about a war with Russia, shooting in the schools? Guess what? God is in control. It may feel like chaos. It may look like chaos. God is in control. This whole chapter, man, things are going crazy, right? God is in control. We're coming to come up on a time and place where there's going to be one world government. they are going to come a time and place when there's one world currency. There's going to come a time and place where people are going to use a climate change or a climate crisis to gain control of this earth, where things are going to converge and collapse. We know this. We know that the world is coming to this. In fact, you hear about it, a thing called the Great Reset. It's happening right now. Somebody also said it could be the great preset to the reset. But understand a great reset is coming. Because this is all building up to the Antichrist ruling on the earth. A one world government. Where there's one monetary system, and you cannot buy or sell unless you have the mark. And by the way, they're going to take away all your guns. You're not going to be able to do anything. This is what's coming. Now, for us as believers, uh, we don't need to be worried about that. We don't need to be afraid about that. Even this, where these... Two witnesses, they were given authority to do what God had called them to do in the midst of chaos, in the midst of different things. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a what? Standard. Nestor said that last week. Hey, guys, Christ is a standard, and as we stand in him, we become the standard in this world. So all this stuff's happening, just like it says in the Bible, God is in Control. He's in control. So don't major on the minors. Hello, church. Let's not major on the minors. Let's remember God is in control. He is in control. The second thing that I want you to see from these two verses is that you see a temple. You see a temple. This must have been encouraging to John, who was in Patmos, in prison. And he knew 20 years ago, Titus of Asphazian came in and destroyed the temple. And now all of a sudden, God's giving him a vision, which which is showing him that there's going to be a temple built again. What would have been encouraging to him? As things were falling apart again, God is in control. Now, I want you to understand something, church. There has been so many prophecies that have been fulfilled in the Bible. So many. Uh, Just with the nation of Israel alone. Prophecies that are coming true as we speak. There's two of them that haven't come true. And this is one of them. The temple has not been built. Now, for those of you who want to go research because you got a lot of free time, you can go online and you can research the Temple Institute. The Temple Institute, i think it's .org. If you know Hebrew, you can read their website in Hebrew. But if you don't, you can read it in English. They have everything that's already been completed. They've got things that have been created They are ready to build the temple. They have the plans. They have the architectural drawings, and they even have the money. They are just waiting for a piece of property to build. All right? So we're waiting on that to be fulfilled. There's another thing that hasn't been fulfilled yet, which is the battle that's listed in Ezekiel 38 and 39 which is Iran, Russia, and Turkey, they're going to join forces together and they're going to attack Israel. That hasn't happened on the calendar yet. Now, this is what I want you to understand. These things don't need to happen before Christ comes back. If you research the Old Testament, Antoine should know this, so how long did it take Solomon to build the temple. Seven years, right? Seven years. So, so I was like, because T-hop's taken a long time. Can I get a witness? And I'm complaining to God, and then I read in my reading, it took seven years. I said, Antoine, we're ahead of schedule. It took him seven years, all right? So anyway, so anyway, be encouraged, brother. So, so, so if back then... All right. With their lack of technology, they could build that in seven years. How fast could a temple be built now? If they already have all the money, they just need a plot of land. So, the temple, and then the war of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine. Those two things on the political on the on the uh, prophetic calendar still need to take place. But Jesus could come back tomorrow those things don't have to happen before. Does that make sense? All right. And by the way, what a better setup for the antichrist to come and say, "Hey, I've got a plan so that the Jewish people could build their temple right next to the mosque that's there by the Muslims." The Dome of the Rock, that's there with a golden dome. So that's there on the Temple Mount. Hey, here's the plan. Let's build them both side by side and we'll make a peace treaty. And by the way, it's talked about in the book of Daniel. We don't have time to go there. But the Antichrist is going to sign a covenant of peace for seven years and a peace treaty. But he's going to halfway through it, break the covenant. He's also going to go up into the temple and he is going to say, worship me. So that's going to happen halfway through the tribulation period. So we need to be aware, because Revelation chapter six, it talks about the Antichrist who's going to come on a white horse where it's going to look like a peaceful thing. So how's he going to come to power? Well, maybe one way, he'll figure out how to bring peace to the Middle East. He'll figure out how to bring a temple so that the temple can be built. We just need to be aware of what's going on in the world because that is going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but a temple will be built. So what scripture says. All right, let's move on. Verse three, it says, I will, and we are in uh, Revelation chapter 11, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, That word witness is martyr, martyr. That's where we get the word martyr, all right? It doesn't necessarily mean, although it can mean, speaking forth, but it it means someone that is dead to themselves. They're a witness. They're a martyr witness where they're no longer living for themselves, but they're living for God. It says, they will prophesy. The word prophesy means to preach, to speak forth, to proclaim, to tell the future, for 1,260 days, and they were clothed in sackcloth. And so for about three and a half years of the tribulation period, they are witnessing, they are preaching in the midst of chaos. After we've seen the seven seals, after we've seen six trumpets, these guys are still proclaiming. And they're doing, doing it in sackcloth. Now, there is a debate where some people believe, okay, do the witnesses come at the beginning of the tribulation, or do they come in the halfway period? Um, let's go ahead and turn to Revelation 13.5. I'm going I'm to tell you why I believe what I believe. I'm going to be a bad teacher and not teach the other side. You can go research that yourself, but I don't have time to give both sides, okay? Let me just say this. The bottom line is they're going to witness. Can I get a witness? If they do it on the front end, they do it on the back end. They are going to get what they're going to get. You know what I'm saying? They're going to do what they've been called to do. So here's why I believe that they're going to come in the first part of the seven-year tribulation period. Revelation 13, 15, and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That is the last three and a half years of the seven-year period that this beast, which is the Antichrist, he's given authority over the earth. Now, what we're going to see in Revelation 11 is that there's going to be a beast that comes up from the abyss, and he's going to kill the two witnesses. So when the Antichrist comes to power, the ministry of the two witnesses end. That's why I believe they're going to prophesy and witness in the first half. Now, if you believe otherwise, that's all good. You believe in Jesus, you go to heaven, you die. That's all that matters. Thanks, to the leader, for getting that joke. Here's what I want you to get as well. They wore sackcloth. You see that there? Sackcloth. They were clothed in sackcloth. Now, fellas, if you want to, to lower your budget for clothing for your spouse, use this verse, man. It'll drop it down real quick. Any, I'm just kidding. Um, went better to the first service, I guess. Um, sackcloth. It represents mourning. It represents humility. It represents brokenness. The prophets of old in the Old Testament, when they were mourning, they were wearing sackcloth while they were mourning, while they were covering themselves in dirt seeking God. And so there's this humility that these two witnesses are standing in. Why is that important for you and me? Because a lot of believers think they're preaching or proclaiming stuff with a righteous anger, but these two witnesses who actually breathe fire, like real fire. They're doing it out of humility and brokenness. Church, listen. I am wretched to the core. I am a rebel deserving of wrath. The own, Listen, if anything occurs to me, it came from God if it was good. There is nothing that I bring to the table. I am wretched through and through. But his blood, his blood, his blood has covered my sins. And he has declared I'm a saint. So when I preach, when I share truth, I always want to do it from a posture of brokenness and humility, knowing. But because of the grace of God, I wouldn't be here. It's because of your grace that we have this ministry. It's what Paul says. So they're preaching in humility. They're preaching in sackcloth. All right, verse 4, Revelation 11. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord. And I want you to highlight, stand before the Lord, please. And I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. So we can see there's a description of these two people in the Old Testament. So it's a fulfillment of biblical prophecy that's going to come forth, that's going to come to pass. And so it says in verse 11, it says, Then I said to him, Zechariah four eleven, Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees? On the right and to the left of the lampstand. And the second time I answered and I said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? And he said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, and you want to highlight this. These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord and highlight that stand by the Lord. And so you can put above stand by the Lord Revelation 11:4 because it says the two olive trees and lampstands that stand before the Lord. You can also put Luke 9:32, Luke 9:32. That's in the midst of the story of Jesus being being transformed. Uh, on the, the the Mount of Transfiguration and it says this in Luke 932 you don't have to turn there it says now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep but when they became fully awake they saw his glory and the two men stood with him so these two are standing with the Lord in Zechariah 4. These two were standing with the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration, and now in Revelation 11, verse 4, they're standing with the Lord. Now, there's a couple things here that I I think it's interesting to know. Olive trees produce oil. They produce oil. What fuels the lamp and the burning of the lamp is oil, so the oil and the lamp are together. It's also interesting that that passage is in the middle of Zechariah 4, 6, not by my Not by power, but by what? Spirit. 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 So these people are going to be spirit led. They're not going to be like the foolish virgins that are out of oil. But they're going to be like olive trees producing oil to keep those lamps burning with fire. There's a connection that's happening. These people are standing before the Lord, abiding in the presence of God. Are we standing? for the Lord and how we walk in our connectivity with God. Listen. When you walk in a room Monday, it doesn't really matter who's in that room. If you are focused and aware that you are standing with the Lord, it doesn't matter who you stand before. If you stay with an awareness that you are before the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is man that you are mindful of him? And we, as a people, get too mindful of men. Man is like a breath, vapor gone. Let's be people that stand before the Lord. That's what these two witnesses did. Verse 5, let's go back to Revelation chapter 11, verse 5. If anyone... Would harm them. Fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. How many want that gift? By the way, right, right. Hey, I want that gun. Anyway, verse six. Uh, they have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophecy prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. I'd like you to highlight a couple of things here. Verse six, it says they have power. They have power. And I want you to highlight that. And then at the end of six, it says as often as they desire. All right, check, check, check. We good? Okay. And I'm being serious. Throw my garbage, please. Um, they have power, and they use that power when they desire to use it. Christian, this is a big point for us. So I don't know about you, but my Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's What? Come on. There's freedom. The same power that is in you, it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead, right? That's what the Bible says for us as believers. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is within me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Like, this is what our God has declared about us. This is who he says we are. But the reality is most of us, right, including myself, we don't walk like that, do we? These guys were walking like they knew they were plugged in to the power they had the oil they were burning fire was coming and they were walking it like they were talking it or however that goes as often as they desire you might be saying who are these guys by the way now some people say and again this is a thing that really doesn't matter Some people say that it's Moses and Elijah. Why? Because Moses had the ability to call down plagues, and you see here where it says the water turned to blood. Who did that? Moses did, right? Some people say Elijah because Elijah was the one that stopped the rain with King Ahab, right? He prayed, and it did not rain. So some people believe that it's Moses and Elijah, but here's the thing that I think is more important. We don't know what their names are. These guys were the no-name preachers. The no-name preachers. Uh, Sebastian, let's go ahead and throw up. There's a certain football team called the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> you know I had to do it, you know I had to do it. So 1972, undefeated season. Their defense was so amazing. Tom Landry from the Dallas Cowboys, he's like, I don't know about their defense. In fact, I don't even know one player on their defense. So I, he gave them the term the no name defense. They were so amazing. Again, did I, did I tell you they went undefeated? The only team that's ever done that in 50 years. Perfect season, perfect. Just like Jesus. No name. They didn't need recognition. They were operating as one. Who cares who gets the credit? Right? Somebody once said, we, we can accomplish anything if we don't care who gets the credit. No name. These guys had no name. So is it Moses? Is it Elijah? Who cares? What God wants us to know, their name didn't matter because it was all about his name. He must increase, I must Decrease. And see, when they were doing that, they were seeing God do some things. Is that in your heart today? I had you highlight as often as they desire. And I'd like you to turn to 1 Chronicles 28, please. This is something that we need to really pray through as believers. How much freedom has God given us? There's just this yoke in the church, in the body of Christ sometimes, where I can't do that. I don't want to make a mistake. I'm just not sure. And I just want to say we got to start going for it, guys. We don't want to be like that, that little ride in Disney World, right? where you get in that car and you go on that track and it goes real slow and you can't go off that track. That's kind of a lame ride. We want to be people that are in Ferraris and we're going around the corner and we're flipping them. You know why we can flip them? Because he can raise the dead. We've got to be people that take the governor off and we got to start going for it. These people were moving as if the same power that raised Christ from the dead was in them. They were moving as if they could stop the rain. And they just said, you know what? I think I'm going to stop the rain. Okay, I think we're going to cause this plague to come. And they begin to move in the realm of the authority that God has given them. Well, what's your realm that God's given you? You ever think about that? What has he given you? Adam and Eve? Hey, Adam, take dominion over the earth and subdue it. The whole earth? Yeah, the whole earth. It's yours. Go for it. Well, how do I do that? Did God tell him that? Nope. Go do it. He wasn't like, oh, God, there's this horse with stripes coming. Uh, let me wait on you. Bruh, bruh, what is it? bra, bruh, i get a bra. I'm really tired. Z, 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 zebra, zebra. Oh, zebra, zebra, zebra. Yeah, that's a word from the Lord. No, he didn't do that. He just said, I'm in authority, zebra. He was given authority to name those animals. He didn't say, oh no, I don't know what to do with that. Okay, God, I need to. Now, there's nothing wrong with that kind of posture, but guys, you've been given authority. If you were a deputy and you've been deputized by the sheriff and you see a crime happening, you're not going to have your badge and your gun on that you've been given authority to use and to wear and to stop crime. No, you're appointed to do that. You've been given authority to do that. You're not going to see a crime and say, oh, hold on one second, please, criminal. Hey, sheriff, there's a crime. Are you sure you want me to stop it? That guy would be fired. You got a gun, shoot him. Use it. You have authority, use it. It stops here. Some of you in your home, hey, this stops here. And we need to start moving with an expectation. That God is with me. He is for me. He is on my side where the spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom. If he's for me, who or what can be against me? Same power that raised Christ from the dead. It's in me. I'm going to go. I'm going to start going. And I trust my dad that if I overstep, he allows (sighs) U-turns. If I was lighter, I would have been smoother. But uh, anyway, he allows U-turns. He allows, he can pull me back. But what pleases God? Without what? Faith. It's impossible to what? Please God. Right? I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. How can I know? How can I know? How can I know? Oh, guys, listen. Listen to this verse here Mark 14, 7. Jesus is talking. For you always have the poor with you. It's Jesus prophesying there's always going to be poor people in fact we'll see this in revelation 11 small and great basically rich and poor right so it's there's always going to be inequality always now jesus says whenever you want you can do good for them that's a blank check right there for every christian wherever whenever you want you can help the poor Whenever you want, Jesus says you can help the poor. Here's the problem. Oh, God, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. Now, there's a beauty in that at times. But church, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get us over the edge here to jump off the cliff. right? If you want to walk out of the water, what do you, what, what do you need to do? You need to get on the, out of the boat. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. And what, what happens if you sink? Huh? Peter did that, but then he cried out to the Lord, and God pulled him right up immediately, right? So, so guys, we've got to start going, right? These people were moving in such a way. Luke 1, 3 and 4, it says, Oh, most excellent Theophilus, I, it seemed good to me to write to you. And so then he wrote the Bible. Think about that. It seemed good for me to write you. And then he wrote the Bible. What's on your heart? What has God put on your heart to do? Are you stepping forward knowing that he is with you? Now, should you seek counsel? Yeah. Seek your community. Hey, hey, listen. I feel like God wants me to put out an album, like a gospel solo album. What do you think, right? And so I go to Destiny. She's like, "Nah, Chris, don't do it. I go to DJ. No, nah, Chris, don't do it. I got to listen to the counsel because... But, 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 here's the deal, right? Oh, they ain't walking in the spirit. I'm going to do it anyway. No, no. <laughs> that church, hello, that's what we see a lot. Okay, okay, wait a minute now. Maybe I'm the one that's supposed to write the lyrics and somebody else sings it. But at least I'm stepping, at least I'm asking, at least I'm going. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? This is what these guys are doing here. This is why I'm, I'm hanging on this. Let's look at, at um, um, um. Uh, Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 28. So here's David. He, in his heart, was a man after God's own heart. He loved God with all of his heart, and he wanted to build God a temple. Was that a bad thing or a good thing? It's a good thing. In fact, he went to the prophet Nathan, and Nathan says, Do whatever in your heart. So David went forward with that, but then God gave a word to Nathan, and Nathan had to come back the next day and say, Hey, David, don't do it. You can't build the temple. And so you're seeing now at the end of David's life how he processed this. King David arose to his feet. Verse 2, 1 Chronicles 28. Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building it. You might want to highlight that. I made preparations for the building. But God said to me, you may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and you have shed blood. So here's the deal. Your dad loves you. If you're going forward wanting to build something for him, he can stop you, right? But if he hasn't stopped you, keep going, right? It's it's, it's like this, a person that, oh, I don't pray for healing anymore. Why not? Well, because God just didn't heal me. Well, listen, Apostle Paul kept praying. He asked three times, and then God said, stop praying for healing. Did God tell you to stop praying for healing? No, then don't stop praying for healing. Keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. That door's going to be open. Please, press in, press in, press in. Verse 5, all of my sons... Lord has given me many sons. He has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said to me, It is Solomon your son that shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Was David salty? Did he give up on the dream? <laughs> Whatever. Did he rebel? How was his attitude? Look at look at his attitude here. Verse nine. And you, Solomon, and my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands every plan and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. So he's encouraging up the next generation to do what God had put on his heart. And then you read from 11 on down, David began collecting gold. He began to collect silver. He started putting everything together. He began making plans for it. In fact, look at verse 19. And this he made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord, all the work to be done according to the plan. So he even made a plan. So God put it on his heart to build a temple. Hey, it it seems good to me. So he started to do it. God said, no, you're not going to do it. But it was still in his heart. So he did everything he could to see it happen in the next generation. Church, are we walking like that? See, when we live for no name, it might be the next generation. We might be here, but it's not for us. It's somebody that's going to come out of the womb of somebody here. And that's why we're here. There may be a Moses rising up from our midst. You never know. Some of us need to repent. Because we look to the government instead of operating in the government of God as an ambassador. Has God put a ministry on your heart? Has God put a business on your heart? Let's not complain about the schools. Let's just go start a school together. What is God putting in you? Are you using the power that he's given you or or let's go ahead and turn to Matthew 25, please? Are you burying? Are you burying it? Matthew 25, verse 24. So there was talents given out. One guy got 10, one guy got five, and they produced with what was given to him. But then there was this one guy that was given just one talent. So listen, everything wasn't dispersed evenly. And so the one talent guy could have looked and said, it's not fair. I don't have what he has. Don't do that. You have what God has given you. He's put you in that place. Don't bury the treasure. Use the power. Use the power. Use it. Use what he's given you. Use the authority. Verse 24, Matthew 25. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered nor seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you go, have what is yours. Here's what God wants to break off. Christians who are just so afraid to move. And they just like, I don't want to mess up. I don't know enough. What if? What if? I'm afraid. What if God doesn't? Listen, that's that burying treasure, what what, what God is saying today. Hey, listen, what is on your heart? How can the church equip you for the work of ministry, right? This is what we're called to do. Get out of the boat. Get out. I don't know how to swim. That's okay. We got some lifeguards. Get out of the boat. I was afraid, and I hid it. Verse 26, his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew where I reap, where I have not sown and gathered, where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given. This is a kingdom principle, by the way, and he will have an abundance. Sometimes we look at people, why is this guy got anointing? Why has this guy got this kind of authority? Why does this guy seem to get blessed? Why does this guy seem to get, why does, right? And we have to be very, very careful about that because, again, we don't want to judge things on the outside, But sometimes when God finds a faithful servant who's faithful with a little, he keeps giving them what? More. He gives more. That's what he says. Who's faithful with a little? He gives more. I don't feel like he ever gives me anything. Well, have you been faithful with that one thing? One thing. Have you been faithful? Because 28. Take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has. Will more be given. And he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is this is this is Jesus. And so you've been given authority, you've been given power, you've been given a gift that only you have. Are you burying that or are you just kind of sitting back and saying, oh, God, I just I just don't know. Are you beginning to just step out and say, you know what, God, if this isn't you, I'm going to trust you that you're going to stop me because you love me. I'm your kid. I'm your kid. Look, when my kids were little, hey. Don't go across the road. If I tell you again, I'm going to whoop your behind. Parents, they watch their kids if they love their kids. Other parents, letting kids just run the streets, it's not good parenting. Our God is a good father who watches over, and we're about to cross boundaries, do we trust him enough that he's going to stop us and pull us back? Yeah. If I keep going out in the road without looking both ways, eventually you're going to get spanked. But if you're just trying to go because you believe you want to please him, this is what you put on my, listen, he's not going to spank you. He's a good dad. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. So, man, are you stepping. All right, chapter 11, verse 7. Chapter 11, verse 7. And when they finish their testimony, the beast or the Antichrist that rises from the bottomless pit or the abyss, we talked about that two weeks ago, will make war on them, conquer them, and kill them. So they're going to be dead. Remember, remember, God is in control. Even if it looks like he's not, God's in control. Again, the Antichrist will be a human being, but this demon that's coming out of the bottomless pit will inhabit the Antichrist, who is a full human being, and that person is going to kill these two. Verse 8. We'll talk more about the Antichrist in chapter 13. Verse 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street, of that great city that is symbolically called Sodom. And and I want you to put an abomination there, abomination. And Egypt, Egypt represents wealth, power. Egypt was the greatest society in the world, was was in charge of the world for thousands of years, greatest power of all time. Where their witnesses, where where their Lord was crucified, who's there? That's the two witnesses, Where was Jesus crucified? Jerusalem. So this is talking about Jerusalem. Now, if you go back up to chapter 11, verse 2, it says they'll trample the holy city for 42 months. Abomination is going on. Wealth, power, party, all this stuff is happening in the midst of all this. They're trampling the city. And they're killed there, and their bodies are going to lie there in the street. How long are they going to lie there? Verse 9. For three and a half days, some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in the tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, and they will make merry and exchange presents, because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. They're going to be hated by everyone. Why? Because they spoke the truth, and people love darkness rather than light. That's why they killed Jesus. That's why they killed the prophets. Verse 11, but after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and a great fear fell on all those who saw him. And when they heard the loud voice from heaven saying, come up here, and they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched, and that hour was the great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell, 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. And so we see here in verse 15 that the seventh angel is about to blow the trumpet. But we're not going to get into that this week. Here's what I want to do for the rest of our time. I'd like you to take notes. I'm going to give you 10 things that we can learn from these two witnesses that could apply to our life. Now, the reality is, that we're going to hear things, but there might not be change happening in the church of Jesus Christ. Do you know why? You cannot have discipleship without accountability. So here's what I'm telling you. You're going to get 10 things here. I know some of them will hit you. Now, if, it's, if, you, if all 10 of them hit you, come up for prayer, please. And then we'll have you take communion like four times. I'm just kidding. Some of them should should convict you like, okay, right? A number of people come forward. Hey, this hit me, this hit me, this hit me. So that's what you're asking. Holy Spirit, what hit me? But then here's the second thing. Okay, who can I share this with? That's gonna hold me accountable here. The first thing that we say is that they were given authority. They were given authority. God gave them authority. Are you walking in the authority that God has given you? That's question number one. Are you walking in his authority? Like consistently? The verse that goes with that is Matthew chapter 28. All authority has been given to me, now go. So are you walking in the authority that God has given you? And for most of us as believers, we don't. We don't. We don't use our authority that's been given. When my wife, uh, years ago, when I first became a pastor and I was ordained, we would leave places. I'd jump in the car with her, and she would say to me, why didn't you say something? I was like, I don't know. I didn't want to be. I didn't want to say nothing. Who am I? She's like, hey, come here, you're ordained as a pastor, you're supposed to say, oh yeah, 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 I am supposed to say something. You can be ordained, but forget you're ordained, right? You can be saved (laughs) and forget you're saved, How much are you dwelling on the reality that you have been given all authority by Jesus to use? The second thing, are you living as a witness, as a martyr witness? And you want to bring this before the Holy Spirit of God. Like, don't try to answer it in your own mind, because apart from the Holy Spirit, you're not going to know truth. You can't know truth apart from the Holy Spirit. The verse for that is Acts 1-8. It says this, You shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You need to focus on this, disciple. You shall be my witness. You shall. Not you may, not you might, but you shall be my witness. And there's some of us, some of us, right, at times we're like, I don't want to be your witness. I don't feel like I know what to say. I don't feel like I can. I don't feel like, you know, no, listen, listen. The word that's declared over you, that's more important than your feelings, that's more important than what you think, this is the word. You will be my witnesses. Don't go against the goads. Don't go against what God has declared. You are a witness. You will be his witness. Whether you like it or not, you're going to be his witness. Can I get a witness? I want you to turn to Luke 5.10. You've got to come into that word. You've got to say, God, please give me enough faith so I can come into this reality. And some of you, you need to quit listening for these next eight points because this is your point. And you need to fast for the rest of the week for lunch, just lunch. You catch up at dinner. Don't gorge yourself. That's what I do. Fast for lunch or maybe breakfast. Do what the Lord tells you to do, okay? Don't listen to me. But here's the verse, Luke 5.10. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Do not be afraid. God, forgive me. I am afraid. That's why I'm not a witness. Forgive me. I now want to come into, I'm not going to be afraid. Fill me with a boldness, God, and I just want to sit in that. From now on, you'll be catching men. From now on, you'll be catching men. From now on, you'll be catching men. Yeah, do you believe that? That's what Christ is declaring over you. You will be my witness. You will catch men. Look, any fishermen, they don't go out with bait and poles and this thinking, I'm coming home with nothing. Some think they're better than they are. But anyway, you know, my my, my, my uncle, you say, don't call me a fisherman. I'm a killer. I kill fish. It's what I do. I'm not (laughs) going. I'm going out there to destroy. Right. I'm coming back with dinner. I'm a killer. And sitting in this word, this is what God declares over you. From now on, you will be catching men. Do you believe that? Do you believe that word? Here's the third thing. They prophesied. These witnesses prophesied. Are you prophesying? Are you speaking forth? Are you declaring the things of God? I want you to jot this down. 1 Peter 4.11. It says, when you speak, speak the words of God. When you speak, speak the oracles of God. When you speak and declare things, speak as if. This is the New Living Translation. When you speak, speak as if God's speaking through you. Speak forth. Proclaim. How can, we, how can they hear if no one preaches? So are you prophesying? There's three things so far. Number four, they wore sackcloth. They wore sackcloth. I don't know about that point, Chris. I want you to, 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 to jot down 1 Peter 5.5. 5. 1 Peter 5.5. 5. This is what it says. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Sackcloth represents humility. Oh, God, I want to be clothed in humility. I want to be humble. I want to consider others as better than myself. So this thing of wearing sackcloth, man, we want to be a humble people that proclaim Jesus. The fifth thing is this, we didn't know their name. And so are you good with being a no-name? Are you good if you never make a, a name for yourself? The reality is, a lot of times, it is our reputation that stops us from using the power and the authority that God has given us. Let me say that again. A lot of times, it is our reputation that stops us from using the power and the authority that God has given us. I don't want to do this because I don't want to look like this. I'm scared of what they might say. What is that? That's reputation. That's you caring about your name. That's caring about how you look. And, ooh, I'm guilty. So are many of you. Don't judge me. We care how we look. Philippians 2, 7. New King James, it says this. Jesus made himself of no reputation. No reputation. I want to be part of a church with a bunch of no names. Living for the glory of God alone. We don't care who gets the credit. We don't care. It's God. It's God. It's God. So are you willing to have no name? Number six, they stood before the Lord. They stood before the Lord. You are my one thing. One day in your house is better than a thousand elsewhere. I want to walk and live in your presence, God. I want to stand before you. I want to be more consumed and concerned that you are here rather than the people I'm speaking to right now. You are here, Jesus. You are with me. May we be people that stand before the Lord like these two witnesses did. May we ask God to help us walk and raise the consciousness of the reality of His presence as we stand before Him. Number seven, they were operating with power. Are you? I want you to turn to James 5, please. James 5. We're almost done. James 5. Scripture is always encouraging us. To step out in faith, to believe, and here we see these witnesses—they're stopping rain. In James five sixteen, it, James is—it's right. The Holy Spirit's writing to the church through James. And it says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. That you may be what? Healed. Listen, I've given you seven things so far. If you're not doing this, there's a reality. It's why I told you to get an accountability partner. Confess that so you may be what? Healed. That God replace that fear of man with the fear of you. Forgive me, God. And so, confess your sins so that you, and, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power, and it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he fervently prayed that it might not rain, and for three years, and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore his fruit. Scripture's saying, hey, Elijah was just like you and me. So here, here, here's point number seven. Hey, are you operating with this power, with the mindset that Elijah was just like us, and he prayed that it would not rain? And I'm standing in the righteousness of Christ, right? I have no righteousness apart from Christ. But in Christ, I've been declared righteous by his blood. And the Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. My prayers are going to shake things. My prayers are going to tear things down. My prayers are going to uproot kingdoms and destroy them and replace them with new, ki- new kingdoms. This is who we are, guys. Jesus in John 3, 8, it says this, that the Son of Man was made manifest to destroy the works of the enemy. Number eight. They ministered with a freedom. They used their power when they wanted to stop the rain, when they wanted to do a plague, however they desired. I've quoted this already, but 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Spirit, the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Here's the eighth question, are you moving with that kind of freedom. But God, what do you want me to build for you? What can we go do together? What are you calling me to do, God? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, there's freedom. Minister with a freedom, guys. Your dad loves you, he can stop you. Number nine, they finished their testimony. And I'm gonna finish this sermon, by the way. They finished... Their testimony. Are you somebody who finishes what you start? The one who said it is finished lives inside of you. So guess what? Your old identity may be you never finish what you start, but now you're in Christ. He says it is finished, and he always finishes what he starts because he's the author and the finisher of your faith. What he begins, he always finishes. Always. And so as you stand in him, you will finish. Now, some of you, like, well, I don't really have a desire. I don't really have a dream. I don't really have a vision. Here's my question for you. Did you finish the last thing? Did you finish the last thing? And sometimes things don't, 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 don't awaken because we, we didn't do what he told us to do last time. Last one, last one. Hallelujah. They were hated. So do you have some haters? Do you have some haters? I got a few. I can lend you a couple of mine if you want. I'll be happy to share. I want you to turn to Luke 6, 26, please. This is the last point here, and we're done. Worship team, if you could just come on up. And... Luke 6, 26, this is Jesus talking. He's talking to his people, and he says this, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. We're going to see next week in Revelation chapter 12, Where one third of the angels went with Satan. God is perfect. One third hate him. Jesus was perfect. They killed him. But for some reason in the church, we think that we need to be liked by everybody. And Jesus warns us you better have some haters. You know how you get some haters? is when you speak the truth in love. And people love darkness more than they love the light, so they begin to hate you for speaking the truth into them. Not that I'm trying to go get haters, but it just is what it is. They don't want the truth. When you turn the lights on in your kitchen, the roaches run. (laughs) They don't like the light. Like some of you ain't have roaches, but anyway. This is church, man. We got to keep it real. People are not going to like the light because of darkness. And listen, Jesus warns us, man, there's be some people that really don't like you and are rejecting you because you're just giving it to them raw. You're not pulling punches with them. So those are the 10 things. We're going to have prayer partners up here if you need prayer. Communion is, is over there. And so, Father, I thank you for your word today, and I thank you for just the example of the the two witnesses and just the application for us as you have declared over our life that we will be your witnesses. Acts 1 8, we will be your witnesses. And so, God, in the name of Jesus, we just say we are sorry. We've denied you like Peter more than 3 times we've feared man and we haven't feared you we haven't worshiped you and loved you with an undivided heart we haven't walked with authority we haven't we haven't used the power you've given us we've buried it we haven't been humble and broken Wearing sackcloth. We, we just haven't operated out of the right spirit. There's so many things, God, that we can look at our life and say, Oh, God, we are undone. We are undone. We are undone. But that's when we look at the cross. And we see how you spilled your blood for us. We see that you canceled the record of debt for us. And we cling to the cross and we say, Jesus, forgive us. Jesus, change us. Jesus, heal us so that we do not go back to our vomit like dogs. That we would live a manner worthy, a life manner worthy of the gospel. And so God, come and create in us a clean heart, a right heart, renew a right spirit within us so that we walk in these ten things. And we're the kind of witnesses, the kind of martyrs, God, that bring you glory. That bring you glory, Jesus. Not to us, not to us, but to you be the glory. Brought your spirit, God, as we sing to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.